Just before we start this episode with Betty, I just wanted to say, again, I'm really sorry. This one as well has some interesting background noises. We recorded this episode um, on a day of rehearsals in Stanley Arts in Croydon, and I had a great time watching a bit of the rehearsal of Fash Baroque Festival, and then Betty and I found a room to do the recording in, but we just kept getting interrupted by hoovers and other weird and wonderful sounds. Almost feels like a sound bingo. You can hear a siren at one point, someone whistling at another point, big hoover moments. It hopefully doesn't take away too much from the wonderful conversation I had with Betty. Yeah, just for a bit of context, because I don't think I explained it very well in the actual interview. Betty Makarinsky is an amazing soprano, and she's also the co-founder of the Vash Baroque Festival, who just had a wonderful run of shows beginning of this month, so beginning of September. But they have lots more planned for the rest of the year and going on to the future. And it was also just great to learn more about Betty and her life as a musician and singer as well. So, yeah... Once again, huge apologies for the beautiful array of sounds. Also, just a quick reminder, it's brilliant if you can take a minute to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Also, if you're on Apple Music, if you could review, that would be insanely cool and really helpful, apparently. Apparently, it's a very um, good thing in terms of getting up listenership and stuff. So if you have a moment and have Apple podcasts, please write us a little review. That'd be really helpful. Also, we're on Patreon. If you want a few more extra episodes and a bit of the behind the scenes and just want to support us monthly, it's £3 a month and we'd love to see you over there and connect with you all a bit more. So yeah, thank you so much. Really hope you enjoy this interview with Betty Makarinsky. Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle. So join me, Hattie and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. For this process, I'm the company manager of the Orfe production, and I am, meanwhile, running lots of things behind the scenes. Uh, we went into the room together and saw a run of a section of the first act, um, and the dancers were also watching it with us. And it's cool to <laughs> get goosebumps and to yeah. hear the singers coming together and sounding really lush. Yeah, the quality of performers in the room is really exciting. That's been something we've been very fortunate to have from day one and it's very cool. It's a huge privilege to work with 
talented, highly trained singers and musicians and to see them doing their thing. So how did you kind of get together this group specifically? Was that something that you did yourself or...? A combination. So this uh, cast and group of instrumentalists and dancers um, came together in a variety of ways. The seven singers who you heard today uh, all responded to open audition calls and we had over 100 applicants. Wow. Um, Then we saw... I say we, I actually wasn't in the audition room. That was uh, Jeanne, our director, and Johnny, um, my co-founder, and the MD of the opera. They auditioned about 25 singers for seven roles. That was an interesting process. Uh, It's always great to see people coming in and being a little bit nervous, Mm. a little bit performative, and then... If you can do something to make them relax and actually feel comfortable in their own skin and in the setting of an audition and actually perform how they have the potential to perform, you can see, okay, this is who they're going to be as part of the production. As opposed to, okay, you know, quick two minutes, did they manage to perform under huge pressure? Okay, sometimes some people are really good at auditions and Mm. showing themselves in their best light immediately, but some people aren't. They need a little bit of time to open up and Johnny and I I keep saying all of this is us we've we talked about the um, process lots and I was stewarding one of the auditions so I sort of listened in the back of the room <laughs> sneakily but I don't think it is the same thing as performing um, in a show or in a concert because everything about an audition is false there's no vibe from the audience you've got two people sitting in front of you writing in notebooks um, and even if they try and be really friendly and encouraging, they can't create the same relaxed, inspiring live performance atmosphere. So I think credit to Johnny, he's really great at running an audition room. We've had lots of really nice feedback from singers about oh, well, the brilliant. fact that he's he tries to put people at ease. He's a singer himself, so he's been in that position and he um, feels very seriously about being responsible for uh, their well-being and enjoyment in that moment mm. and helping them to try and show the best of themselves. That is, yeah. I think that some of my best audition experiences have been in that in that kind of context as well, like playing an excerpt and then knowing it went a bit wrong and they know it went a bit wrong so you can do it again and they ask you, you know, oh, why don't you play a bit slower or, you know, I, I just, yeah, it completely changes your experience. Absolutely. And also you come away with something yeah. rather than just having gone and performed something and thought, okay, that was either good or not so good. You come away with um, uh, a tip or like a, a mini coaching, um, mm. essentially, which is cool as well. And then the whole audition process, if you don't get the role, can be more positive And it means that fewer musicians and singers will feel burnout from the constant application process if it's course, a yeah. fulfilling process in and of itself. It does mean that you can see fewer people and that's tricky, rejecting people before they even get in the room and we haven't found a solution for that yet. Maybe mm. in the future when we have um, more resources and more budget and more time we can do multi- multi-day auditions um, and see more people because that would be cool but it feels more important to give people more time in the room. Anyway, all of that. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's really interesting. We gathered this group of singers from Open Calls and wow. um, really excited at the standard and 
the individuality of all of their voices. They've all got very beautiful voice colours. Yeah. And they're all brilliant. Very good actors as well. Actors, exactly. Really important. As part of the audition, they asked them to do some physical movement and some acting and um, putting on a character for one of the extracts that they were asked to prepare. And they're all really nice people, which is really important because that's the one that you don't know until everybody gathers on day one. And obviously you're a singer yourself, Mm -hmm. and that's what all your training's in. And I'm wondering how, like, your own experience of auditions has been, and, like, Mm -hmm. has that impacted in the way that you see auditions for this, or how you want to support singers for this project? For sure, that's a really nice thing to think about. Um, I've had some great audition experiences. I've had... I think the best ones have almost been for the projects where... I didn't get it, but I received an email saying, you were our second choice. Yeah. Um, or some really nice comment that made me feel validated. Because when you get it, that's a huge celebration and you feel amazing. And then you kind of forget what the audition was like because you think, well, I got it and obviously went well. Whereas if you didn't get it um, and you didn't, don't get to do the project, but somebody makes the effort to say, but we really liked you and we just chose somebody with more experience or more perfectly fitting for the role, that is still a really nice confirmation that you are singing and music making is valid and that you deserve to be in this industry and or keep trying and keep auditioning for things and I also really enjoy auditions where there's some movement or where there's some workshopping um, Mm. with the creative team I always think that's fun I did a one audition which was an entire day of workshopping and that was so cool Uh, they gathered a group of about 30 people it was essentially an R&D mixed with right. the audition process. That was really interesting and enjoyable. I've had some very scary auditions where you walk in and the panel are sitting far, <laughs> far, far away. They don't really look at you or smile at you. And having now been not on the audition panel but on the other side, mm-hmm. I realise, and I have learnt talking to colleagues who are on audition panels a lot, particularly directors, I have one in mind who's very verbal about trying to make auditions a more positive experience for singers and I remember her saying you can't control what the panel are thinking where they've come from what's happened in their personal lives that morning Mm. um, whether they're hungry whether they are tired (laughs) you can't control what they're bringing to the room so don't worry about it there's no point trying to second guess did he enjoy that phrase? Is, mm. Does he look a bit bored? Is he texting somebody? Is she getting up and leaving the room to go to the loo? Does she not want to hear me? It's much easier said than done, but it's encouraged me to try and be much more mindful about my audition process and to treat it as a performance and as a situation where I can only control what I'm doing mm. and the audition panel will take it or leave it but yeah. if I am confident and bold with the choices that I make and I can walk in there and settle my nerves such that I can actually sing how I want to sing then it will be a positive experience whether I get it or not mm-hmm. um, and then the process of whether they make it extra good for me is then a bonus um, and if they're really engaging and friendly then you're much more likely to what well, sorry I'm much more likely to be able to relax into it and feel good about it 
and to sort of want to follow their project even if you don't get in you know and, and want to be involved in in maybe in the future or consider re- reapplying or, or whatever definitely I think that's something I've also had recently with job interviews mm. people who have you know made it so that they really look at you and listen and ask questions and really you know like that are really personal to you and, and learn properly about you like that that can kind of make or break how you feel if you get a rejection which so often you will <laughs> it's just gonna happen exactly. <laughs> um but obviously like you were a singer trained as a singer you must have a lot of singer friends yes <laughs> i'm really like has this been a difficult thing to kind of have this project and like want to i don't know how to put it like not want to sort of hurt anyone or not want to kind of intertwine like your personal singer friend world and like big time yeah yeah. and I think that's probably the reason that I have chosen not to be on the audition panel yeah (laughs) I've shifted that responsibility onto Johnny nice um he has a bit more he has a bit more experience with being a music director and a conductor and walking that really difficult um tightrope between friend colleague Mm. okay now in this situation I'm your boss because I'm telling you what to do in the rehearsal room and then suddenly lunch break comes and we switch into chill friend vibes he's struggled with it in the past he's often got very worried about whether he's hurt someone's feelings or whether he uh, treated uh, like the communication with somebody in the right way before and after um but with experience, hopefully you get better at it. And mm. essentially, I think for me personally, I've avoided it. Yeah, it's very tricky. And for that reason, I've slightly deflected and said, oh, that's not my realm of decisions. Um, please apply and you know, the creative team on the project will either hear you or not hear you, but I'm, mm. I'm not involved in that process. And that has made it much easier. Um, and but it is tricky when you have friends who you really want to help them succeed. Yeah. And yet also um, you run an organisation which you want to have integrity of casting and it not being a handshake behind, I don't know what the correct uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> saying is, but it's not fair on other singers. Yeah, it gives um, it a bad reputation as well. Absolutely, and if yeah. other singers think, oh, well, I'm not going to get cast anyway because they only cast their friends, then they won't want to apply surely and Mm. you will get a better cast on average if you cast openly because uh, you're choosing from a bigger pool there's always the tricky thing of if you know somebody and if you've worked with them you know that they're reliable and you know that they can deliver Um, and we have last year we cast somebody that was in our 2020 production um, sorry, two singers were cast from Dido who came to audition for Aces. I know that Johnny did his best to be objective about it and think, OK, I'm going to assess them side by side with the other singers. It might be that they were more relaxed in the room because they knew what to expect and they knew him. Um, but they did walk in there and put on extremely convincing, way more compelling um, than other people. And it's, you never know the reasons for somebody's good or bad audition Mm. Um, and you have to go on that 20 minutes um, for casting because otherwise it's impractical. Yeah, um, yeah. In the future you can have a longer process, but as we all know, the arts are squeezed 
um, from every direction. So it's a luxury, perhaps, that um, at the moment we can't afford, and I'm sure lots of other organisations can't either. Mm, for sure. Going back to the sort of just bare starts of this whole thing, yeah, what was it that you wanted to bring to the arts world with this project? We started in the summer of 2020, and the motivations were quite straightforward at first. We wanted to create work for singers, and we wanted to create things for people to go to as audiences um, at a time when there was nothing going on and audiences didn't have live performances to go to. It was a very specific setting, COVID, in that first summer where everybody thought, will we ever go back? Where, how long is it going to take? Um, will there be a vaccine? We didn't know. So we were motivated by that in the first instance, but then very quickly we thought, okay, we don't want to put on something for the sake of putting on something. We want to do it in a way that motivates us and the way that we came up with was to try and make it really fresh and young and accessible. And I know that that's what, you know, that's the in vogue thing to do and it's, and for a good reason, people need to bring new audiences to classical music. But we were really motivated by that and we set out some things from the start, i.e. a free dress rehearsal that we encourage people to sign up to via Google form. And the idea is anybody who can't afford tickets or anybody who can't justify the spend on tickets. So, for instance, people who've never been to an opera before and think, well, I could maybe afford a ticket, but actually I... Do I want to prioritise that? Exactly. Yeah. I've got other things that I want to spend money on. And the idea is that if we get them to come along to the free dress rehearsal and they love it, maybe we can convert them to a classical music concert goer and somebody who wants to go and see shows and spend their money on that. We had under 35 tickets um, freely available on our site to book. You don't have to sign up to any mailing lists and like get notified about it. They're just part of the offer online and they were, I can't remember what they were in year one, the £35. Maybe last year they were £30. This year we decided to make them £25 because I think the under 35s are getting squeezed more than anybody else at the moment in this recession and that's the priority age group I guess in terms of who is missing generally from classical music audiences um, and from the very outset as well we had a 13 year old chorister take part in Dido and we realised that we loved having education in inverted commas integrated into our main shows and that triggered us uh, setting up a kids choir last year and having them involved in our big Bach cantatas program alongside really established fun, fabulous singers and players and actors. What Johnny and I both really believe in is uh, the fact that seminal, exciting, inspiring experiences as a young child will stay with you forever. Um, I still remember Carmina Burana at the Albert Hall with my school or county choir I can't remember exactly who it was but I remember being in the hall and feeling uh, the sensation of the adrenaline and feeling kind of important and part of something as well yeah totally and that's what we're trying to provide to kids we think there's lots of brilliant uh, music education provision but we think maybe there's not enough opportunities for kids to be side by side with adults on professional stages where they contribute a little bit um, but feel part of something important and they feel, okay, I belong here, I might 
feel inspired now to continue my journey with classical music. Maybe I was finding piano lessons really boring, mm. <laughs> but now I'm, I'll be more motivated to keep going with it. I mean, that was a silly example, but... And also no, they can be boring. <laughs> <laughs> they can. Um, and by making a kids' choir, um, actually, we hope that children who haven't had very much music education beyond the school classroom um, can take part, and year by year... We're hoping we can prioritise applicants who can demonstrate need or people who haven't had, kids who haven't had those experiences who could really benefit from them. Wow, yeah. I also would really, really like to hear about the decision to include contemporary dance as mm. well. Like, where did that come from? And was that something also that you wanted from the start? Or Yeah, Bird Gang Limited are this super cool dance troupe. They are based... Um, in Croydon at Stanley Arts actually where we are here right now um, and they were co-founded by Aqualey Roach who Johnny was at school with when we first thought okay let's do a festival um, That in that first year when we put everything together in 12 weeks we did a cast from our friends and through people that we knew because it, like, we, it was impossible we couldn't have run an application, open application process Johnny got in touch with Aquali and said, do you want to collaborate? And they'd always chatted about possibly doing something together. Um, Aquali is a really talented dancer, but also a choreographer, an actor. He's quite successful, been in a number of TV dramas. Actually, he's currently filming something quite high profile. Uh, look him up, he's a fabulous guy. Wow. Um, and he was up for it. He said, yeah, I'll be your choreographer. He went above and beyond, um, put loads of time in. Loved working with them, but, sorry, to go back a bit, actually, the reason for why them and why contemporary dance, we thought it would work really well. Dido has a number of specific dances, um, instrumental pieces that are supposed to be danced to, and we thought, why not surprise people with the genre of dance? And it went down extremely well. People... Uh, audiences gave us really nice feedback, but a few reviewers, one of them said I could watch an entire hour of Bird Gang's choreography. Somebody else said, you know, the dancers lit up the stage. And they were two fantastically talented dancers. Aquila is an amazing choreographer. But uh, there's also something wonderful about collaborating with another organisation. Mm. And Bird Gang have been running for some time. Um, and at our inception, it was really cool to have an established thing um, coming in and yeah. collaborating with us. It was lovely, very flattering. And Is it hard to persuade donors? I suppose you're approaching donors who maybe would have an interest in, in opera mm. or in Baroque music. Mm -hmm. And then to show them this idea of, you know, having something so contemporary and so fast-moving alongside it, have you found that people are really supportive of that idea or has it been quite hard to persuade people that it does work and... It's a great question. I think we benefited from doing it in year one. Right. Um, and year one, we were on a super tight budget. Everybody who took part did it on relatively small fees, and we had a very small costume and set budget. So we didn't have that many donors involved at all um, in year one. And then we had the film material of Dido to go mm. forward with and to pitch to people with. And I think it sold itself for us. Yeah, that's um, great. Bird Gang don't have one particular style of dance that they do. 
Um, they have a number of dancers who have different specialties. So, for instance, some of them might um, be particularly into popping and locking, and some might be more into sort of more fluid, somewhere between street and contemporary. Therefore, collaborating with them isn't a foray into one type of dance. Mm. It's kind of just this world of contemporary and modern dance. Yeah, yeah, it really, well, the very, very bare bones that I saw this morning, it was just really exciting to to have it side by side and to kind of like, this this music, like Baroque music and especially the charpentier that you're doing, like, it is so colourful. The way it's been choreographed, it really draws out certain things in the music by watching the movement. Like, that's yeah. kind of what hit me. So I think dance can help to make this sort of music accessible mm. for that exact reason. You can visually illustrate phrases and take people on much clearer journeys also dance is just another touch point for some people who might not be into classical music but they might have danced when they were younger or they might love watching ballet or they might love watching ballroom dancing um i know i have a particular friend of mine who is a really keen ballroom dancer but she's not a very confident classical music audience goer and i've had loads of interesting conversations with her about what she feels when she's there and what we could do to make people like her feel more comfortable and uh, not like a imposter. And that's the key, I think, to broadening the audience demographic. Understanding what is making people feel uncomfortable or making people feel like it's not for them um, and then doing something about it and then gradually you will bring people on board. Um, and I think the cool thing about classical music and Baroque music, I say classical music sort of in the broadest sense, is that it is complicated often and it does take a few listens to get into and often for somebody without musical training it will take somebody explaining this is what's going on here, this is the context, this is uh, when this composer was living, this is the historical context, this is the country where they were... X, Y, Z would have been happening in the court. Um, this, this piece would have been written for this occasion. And then people feel like, OK, I have context. Mm. Um, I can now relax into the piece itself. And then at least I found that people who aren't, don't have classical music training love being given some pointers of what to listen out for. Yeah, I feel fortunate, and Johnny as well, we feel fortunate to have a number of friends who aren't classical musicians as well. And I think they are extremely useful resources for us as producers. We talk to lots of them mm. about this a lot to try and figure out what we can do to appeal to them. Yeah, you're so right. It's so important to have people on the other side who can be honest with you. Like, mm. I found the same with the projects I do. And often, you know, my siblings are the best people because they're mm. so honest. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes painful, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they have often been like, oh, I just hate the way that musicians always do this. Or do you not know when you're all together, you're really frustrating because... And I, and I think the whole, OK, well, we need to get new audiences in um, needs to be not from a position of because we're the best, because classical music is head and shoulders above any other type of music. That's, for me, not the right attitude either. But equally, we're allowed to be advocates of it and super passionate about it and say I just find this music amazing to listen to, it gives me shivers it helps me process my emotions um, I can listen to it 
20 times and repeat and I don't get bored and I want to share that I want to share like how it makes me feel and how it improves my life I'd really like to go on to talking about your education, mm-hmm. but I think that's something I lost in my education, speaking from, from me, and that I've only gained back since graduating and, mm. and taking time to play the cello on my own and without mm. the structure. Is I'm like, gosh, yeah, this is a real spiritually important thing in my life. There are so many different pieces of music that mean so much to me that I kind of forgot about because it felt like the whole industry and world I was in was so suffocating for me. And and that is a very specific example and I didn't have a great time and I've been very honest about that. And that's not necessarily the college's fault or anything. There's a lot of what you say about the spirituality of, of classical music and what it can do in, in people's lives that I really, yeah, I really feel like I've really like got back in touch with recently which is that's amazing yeah. it's almost worth losing it for a bit yeah exactly <laughs> to, feel, to feel how amazing it is when you can get it back yeah yeah so you started off you read like music education singing education how did it all start start so I used to be a violinist um and that was my first study and I um also took part in National Children's Orchestra and National Youth Strings Academy I think it's called and did some amazing residential summers um, playing in orchestras and playing in string orchestras and doing chamber music. And I was also doing loads of ballet. I was mad about ballet. And actually, I was more mad about ballet than I was about violin. And I was dreaming of being a ballet dancer, but um, it was never going to be. Because <laughs> I, I don't quite have the right body physique and turn out the hips. And when I was about 15, I stopped dancing. And that's sort of when I started singing more. I'd taken some singing lessons before then, but I hadn't sung that much, um, mainly focusing on dancing and violin. And then I changed schools at sixth form, and I was really fortunate to go to a brilliant school with an amazing, quite intense chamber choir. And I hadn't been in a choir before. Uh, The director of music said, why don't you audition? And... I did, and I got into the chamber choir, and I was cast in an opera production as the main soprano. And it was like there was this whirlwind term, and it made me think, "Oh my goodness, I'm good at singing. I can do, I can do this." Yeah. And what was really exciting was that it combined my favourite bits of violin and ballet. And yes, um, of course. It was very cathartic for me because I thought, okay, I could, I could still be a type of ballet dancer. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to be an opera singer. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Because. Yeah, I love moving to music and singing feels amazing. When you start training as an opera singer, you find all these extra sensations when you're really connected with your support and when it's just working and there's no better feeling in the world for me. I then started training and taking lessons um, sort of near the end of school. Then when I started my music degree at Oxford, I combined that with singing lessons in London with a lady called Nelly Mirichoyu, wonderful Romanian um, opera singer and teacher. And that was a real baptism of fire. She was intense, very serious about how dedicated you have to be to vocal training to get anywhere. And what was really cool about taking lessons with her was that I felt part of... I felt a bit in the in crowd, maybe, Mm. maybe before... I'd been to see like an opera or two, but I didn't know that much about it. Um, my parents go to classical music stuff, and actually, as I've 
become a singer they've got super engaged with opera which is so lovely mm. um, and they go to stuff independently now of me I felt when I was taking lessons with her that I was connected to somebody who'd had a really starry career singing on the stages of the Met and the Royal Opera House and La Scala and she had all these amazing stories uh, she has all these amazing stories I'm still um, friends with her and uh, very much in awe of her achievements as a singer and as a teacher I studied with her while I was at Oxford and then I took a year out, applied to Guildhall and went to Guildhall to do master's studies, ended up only staying for a year um, for various reasons um, and then sort of the rest since then has been individual lessons with various teachers and I just felt that I wasn't quite finding what I needed technically um, until Last year, I met a teacher in Italy um, called Antonio Lemmo, and for the last 13, 14 months, I've been going to his house um, between Rome and Naples and staying with him, taking daily singing lessons, um, and that has been totally transformative for my technique, but also my confidence. Now I'm in a headspace um, that I want to make room in my life for doing lots of auditions in the coming year or two um, and to do some opera at a level that I have been dreaming of my whole life mm. <laughs> so I'm kind of in a yeah in a second stage of my education but I just went totally private and individual lessons the college system didn't really work for me mm. either I think possibly the main problem for me personally was that I went too early mm. I was desperate to get in to conservatoire and then I got my Guildhall acceptance letter and I was over the moon and I thought that's it I'm 21 you made it just turned 22 I've made it yeah uh, and how wrong I was yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think conservatoires or specific I can speak about Guildhall uh, specifically I think it's a brilliant very exciting place if you are ready to make the most mm. of it if you are not in a headspace or um, technically ready, then it can be not productive at best and damaging at worst. Mm. I don't know what needs to happen more. I guess people like me and like you need to talk about it more. Mm. Uh, but on the other hand, I do feel like people were telling me that at the time and I just wasn't hearing them. Mm. Because when you're young and ambitious and excited, you just tune out <laughs> yeah. everything that doesn't work with your narrative. I think they're trying to sabotage you yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I need to go now. Yeah. And somebody else might be like, well, maybe it would be better if you yeah. took another few years out and gradually developed your voice with a teacher privately or, you know, like got some life experience, get a job, go abroad, mm. do something else first. And you think, no. <laughs> they're trying yeah exactly yeah. they're trying to knock me off my career route yeah. um, and it's tricky because some people it works for and that's awesome that's all they want to do and I think mm. I was one of those people it was all I wanted to do and I wanted to do it as soon as possible but it wasn't right for my voice and I don't know whether right now it's because I've met this teacher I don't think it's just that I think it's a combination of the teachers I've been to over the last 10 years and also where I am in my life in my head 
where my voice is. I think it's a voice that needed more time to mature. Um, and previously I was super frustrated that things weren't working. And I think probably teachers who I was working with were frustrated that things, they sort of saw potential, but it wasn't converting somehow. And um, I say all of this preemptively because I still don't know what will happen with yeah, my career. Yeah. But I feel much more confident that I have a good chance now. And I'm also totally realistic about it that if it doesn't happen, at least I've given it a really good shot. And yeah. I've already done some really cool projects that I'm really proud of. And maybe I'll just rethink and go in a different direction if the mainstream opera thing doesn't work out. Mm. But at the moment I'm feeling very motivated and inspired to chase it. Wow, yeah. Do you feel like your confidence was sort of compromised after college? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. I felt I felt like uh, the techniques vocally that I was attempting were just not working for my voice. Mm. And I thought, well, I'm just obviously not a good enough singer. And at the same time, there were some wonderful people from all parts of my life trying to reassure me that I still had things to give to this career I mean yeah you really need cheerleaders cheerleaders for sure 100% because also you are the CEO of your mini company Uh, you are the captain of your ship sorry these are all metaphors I use with (laughs) 10 year olds (laughs) I love them Um, it's very empowering to Mm -hmm. feel that that you are in charge of your life and what you do part of this mentoring is trying to encourage kids to take responsibility for their own education and to feel responsibility for it um, and to feel excited by that Mm. Um, and adults need reminding sometimes too like Mm. it's easy to slip into a mode of being where you think your life's happening to you and you're stuck and uh, you have to carry on xyz trajectory because that's how it's been and you put money into it or time into it or whatever yeah totally without sounding too hippie you know life's short and you are in charge of your own life and if you are able to make the changes that you want to make do it because Hmm. why not yeah when you're speaking to me it kind of it's really highlighting why maybe some of my teacher student me being student relationships were so difficult and like so toxic for my development as an artist and it's it's given me a lot of faith listening to you say that you've now found a mentor that it's is you're getting such brilliant results from and such excitement from because I feel I still haven't had that yet probably definitely that but also I'm in a headspace now where I I wasn't expecting him to sort all my problems out mm, oh um, and I think that's what I was expecting when I was 21 or 18 I was coming to a singing teacher and saying like teach me everything and be in charge of my voice and it can't work that way Mm. and it is really difficult when you're a teenager and you're vulnerable and you don't have experience yet I mean it just takes time to build up life experience to feel confident to have ownership over your own life like that I think there are some teachers who exploit that slightly and who don't encourage teenagers and early 20 early 20s students to feel empowered and to feel really responsible for their development they do the school teacher spoon feeding thing exactly yeah that's what I was looking for thank you it's um, all good because I've, I've, I've had it <laughs> and it was really hard 
And I've even heard, I've even had interviews with, you know, really top musicians who've said, actually, the one that's come to my mind is, is Laura van der Heyden, the cellist, who said she didn't feel she was good enough at age sort of 17 to play or to play her own concerts without her teacher having heard it first mm, or oh her, you know I think I think we have all had that kind of like they yeah. need to tell me they need to give me the validation that this is ready to be performed definitely and I do think it's important particularly as a singer actually because you can sing some things that will damage your voice and it is important to have guidance when you're starting out mm. um, about what's healthy mm. and what's sensible to be doing and what's like strategically the right decision i.e. hold on to singing that repertoire for another 10 years mm. and in 10 years time you'll bosh it whereas if you do it now you'll, your voice will be you ruin your confidence as well yes yeah. absolutely but it would be really nice if they could do that in a way that didn't take away all agency from you Yeah. because I think I totally agree with you that whole I need to run every single thing mm. I do past my teacher it tricks you into a false sense of security somehow that once they've signed off on it, then it's definitely, definitely the right thing to do. Mm. Whereas I think maybe a healthier thing would be a combination of that and, well, what do you think? Let's spend more time maybe discussing why this could be right or could not be the right yeah. opportunity for you right now. Maybe it's unrealistic, but it would be nice because mm. maybe that would kick more, more young musicians and singers into a mindset of feeling like they are in charge of their own career yeah you know I mean maybe this is very much my own experience of feeling very um yeah not good enough at the college but mm. yeah it, it's difficult to feel that autonomy when your teacher is sort of the god in your in your life <laughs> the tricky thing for singers is often the balance of choral and solo singing right. I don't know if you know much about this but no not um, at all they require quite different techniques and lots of conservatoire teachers will shudder at the idea of you going and doing a Sunday church job or really? being part of a choir. Wow. Where, especially as a soprano, where you might be asked to sing straight tone. And it's for good reason, because, again, while your voice is forming and while your technique is solidifying, trying to blend your voice can be quite... Not damaging, but regressive. Mm. And sometimes it can be damaging as well, of course. Um, but I think in most situations, it just means that you don't move on as quickly with your solo technique. Really? Where it's all about freedom and trying to get as much ring as possible and be, being really connected. Um, whereas in a choir... Also, just logistically, what's happening, somebody is conducting you and you're trying to come in at the same time as, let's say... Uh, 15 other singers that body language is very tense like you will have mm. to breathe at exactly the right moment and then start your onset at perfect time whereas when you're training your solo voice it's all about trying to breathe super freely and then getting a really um, clear clean onset um, or you know, depending on the type of phrase you want to sing but getting an onset that is uh, relaxed and then releasing and trying to remove tension from your throat as much as possible and sometimes often choral singing is not conducive to that wow. until you're in a point with your technique where you're so confident that you can manipulate your voice to achieve the vocal effects that you need 
without damaging or without regressing somehow on your journey. So, so stressful. It's, it's stressful. And it's, <laughs> oh so, so I say all of that to sort of point out that yeah. the pressure from teachers can sometimes come from a good place. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder what the equivalent is with sort of a cello teacher saying or making you feel yeah. you're not ready. Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's, it's really tricky. And, and yeah. also surviving as a student musician and singer in London is crazy. I mean, <laughs> I didn't so survive stressful. very well. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. So stressful. Yeah, I'm really interested though with your kind of really exciting new, not new necessarily, but like relatively new, relatively <laughs> new, like gusto for auditioning and mm. and being the the best singer you can be and just feeling free and excited to do that mm-hmm. how is that in the future in your future mind like how does that feel alongside the vash project great question it's like quite a stressful like <laughs> idea of combining the two and like trying to have the two side by side yeah it's tricky when we started vash in 2020 we all had and i say we all to mean the four of us me johnny daniel and amelia we sort of were the core team and we had lots of other people volunteering and helping us. We all had loads of time, so we didn't have to make a choice ever. <laughs> we just did VBF and we worked crazy hours and made it happen. Then last year started to become more difficult because uh, life was sort of starting up, other singing projects were starting up, but it was still somehow quite low-key. Like we were in and out of lockdowns and lots of projects were still on pause. This year it feels like everything is back 200%. Yeah, it There's does. so much on, <laughs> so, so many, many ideas and, and opportunities. and Exactly, so many concerts, yeah, yeah, opportunities to audition for and things to be part of. And that has felt a little bit overwhelming at times, but as soon as I get over that, <laughs> it's just really exciting. Yeah. Um, and we are in... A cool place as an organisation organization and charity in sort of year three of existence and year two of being a charity that we've now built up loads of structures um, that were really difficult and time consuming to do uh, but we now have a board of eight trustees and wow, yeah. we have um, a bigger team we have trustee meetings in person in a boardroom that was amazing and very <laughs> scary the first time it happened but it really made it feel like a real thing. And the dream is to bring more and more people on board VBF that can start taking over some of the management roles that Johnny and I have been covering. For that, obviously, we have to fundraise, uh, which is difficult, especially in this climate. Um, But this History of Sound project that we have started in the last few months and that we're We've just submitted a big Arts Council bid for... Oh, well um, done. And hopefully, yes, a huge piece of work. Huge, yeah. We will hopefully... That will hopefully be the focus of VBF first half of next year, if it's all funded and if it's all in schools. And we've already got all those school partners lined up. The idea is that we do hands-on workshops after the show and uh, kids will be able to, like, experiment with household objects, carve their own pipes out of carrots... Uh, which is really fun. We've done lots of YouTube tutorial carrot drilling <laughs> to experiment. It's probably nice to have another focus in a way. I think we can get really like screwy about if we just have one big time. Thing. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I think it's really helped me not. 
to have to attach all of my self-worth to my singing career. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we do a VBF project that I feel really proud of and it goes well, um, and that is so much more in my control than my singing career is, I feel so much more confident and balanced going in, like putting myself out there for singing stuff because then if I don't get it I don't think oh my goodness I'm a terrible person I'm a terrible person exactly yeah. I think oh okay like this part of me is not working out to plan right now but like let's yeah. it's much easier to stay motivated because I've got VBF helping me feel like I'm achieving stuff I think that's probably important for all musicians and singers to have another project and it doesn't need to be big like it can be <laughs> and, and you know yeah. what, actually my teaching and tutoring work I've really changed my opinion on that because it used to be something that I thought I had to do hmm. just to earn money um, but I didn't really put very much thought into like how I was as a tutor was I a good tutor do I enjoy it I just sort of again I wasn't doing it very mindfully like hmm. I wasn't trying to enjoy it whereas uh, maybe it's thanks to this organisation Opperden, they provided loads of training um, for their mentors and they provided loads of materials and I just feel like a much better qualified tutor now. That's brilliant. And yeah. I feel like I can actually again feel proud about it rather than it just be a thing that I do and mm. I don't really care about. And I think yeah, teaching is that for lots of musicians and I think the more you can do it in a full-hearted way like mm. you have a day a week in a school, okay, not to sound preachy at all, but I just think doing things in a way that you like really take ownership of it and try and do it really well while you're doing it will help your confidence in your singing career or your um, playing career. Generally, I just feel more and more that it's important to do everything that you do in your life full-heartedly, whether that be your other project, whether that be doing exercise or doing or socialising. Like, just try and do it in a full-hearted, present way, and it will help everything else. Yeah, you're less inclined to kind of, I suppose, be hugely affected by one rejection or one negative thing that happens in your life. Yeah, I think think that's a really... That is a really wise and, like, important thing to remember, I think. Yeah, hopefully take the... It's no kind of massive rush or mm. or like right way or timeline that things have to go and I, I love that message that you've brought through all your projects and the time taken and finding the right people to help and mm. support you. you yeah definitely there's no rush um, and your way will be the right way um, and it's so hard to swallow that when you think it's going wrong yeah. <laughs> um, and I've definitely been there and yeah I've had a few corners where I thought oh my goodness how can this not be going the way that I envisioned Um, but it will work out and you'll do some cool things instead like these lessons in Italy have been and continue to be such a fun adventure yeah Um, also to be in Italy yeah bloody hell (laughs) it's amazing very nice I feel very lucky yeah (laughs)